You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. All right, well, let's pray and we'll get jumping in to our lesson today. Father God, we thank you for the privilege of prayer. We approach you with um, with the desire to be forgiven, Lord, of our sins, so we confess our imperfections, our inabilities. And Lord, while this world is, is in a chaotic position, Lord, we know that in you, Lord, we find our peace, we find our comfort. For your word says that if we seek you with everything, with all prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, if we present our request to you, Lord, that you will give us a peace that surpasses all understanding that will guard our hearts and our mind in Christ Jesus. And so we thank you for Christ. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for the gospel, which is the power to save. We thank you for saving us, for making us new, making us a child of God, indwelling us with your spirit, that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ, that we indeed, Lord, by your mercy and by your grace, might walk in a world that is devastated with sin boldly, faithfully, and uh, Lord, help us to walk in these days. And so as we come to this section of theology, as we study the theology of Satan, Lord, help us to be aware of the enemy. Give us clarity. Give us wisdom as we indeed need to know who he is and how he works but more so who you are and how you work and how you've given us victory even over him. And so I pray you uh, open us uh, your word to us that we might grow in a closer relationship with you for your glory. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Christ. Amen. Well, if you're interested at all, um, this book that that I hope... Um, that that we can walk through is called basic theology. It's a it's a study, um, a systematic theology, so so to speak. Um, it is a a book that I believe will be really helpful for us as we study um, this theology. It, it goes into very it's very clear in its teaching. And I think you'll find it a help if you would like. You're welcome to indeed purchase that book and follow along with us because I think it'll be helpful for you and encouragement to you. And so I'll send you a picture of it. That's what it looks like. And uh, basically, I'm just going to teach through this book. And we're going to let uh, Charles Ryrie and his, his systematic guide to understanding biblical truth really uh, point us to the Word of God so that we can really understand uh, who uh, this Satan is. So uh, let's begin by looking at the reality of Satan. Um, ultimately, uh, the denial of Satan uh, and his reality usually takes the form of considering the idea that Satan is not really a person, but more personified. 
more as a personification of evil. That means that, that many believe that Satan is not really real, but nevertheless, he is personified as evil. Um, and that he isn't really a person, and he has no existence. But the reality is, is when we look at the Bible, the idea of Satan is a reality. The idea of Satan as a person developed more in the scriptures than you could ever really reject. The New Testament's very clear. He he's not a legend, but he is he is in the Word of God consistently. And thus we have to come to a place where we genuinely understand that the devil is a real person. And so I want us to begin by, obviously, because we believe that all Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be adequately equipped for all good works, then the reality is, is we need to go to the Scriptures to find out truth. You know, we live in a day when everybody wants to hear a voice from God or God has said to me or God spoke to me, when in reality, the Bible is how God speaks to us. He speaks to us through his living and active word. And so let's begin by looking at Satan, the reality of Satan, from the evidence of Scripture. If indeed you accept Scripture as the revelation of God, and you should because it is, then you need to understand that it's more than just a record of man's thoughts about God. Because when you understand that it is truly a revelation of God and, and more than just some record of their thoughts and their ideas, then the reality of Satan, listen, cannot be denied. Satan uh, did not evolve as a personal being. He existed and acted from the earliest to the last books of God's revelation. And so seven books of the Old Testament teach his reality. He, he is talked about in Genesis, Chronicles, First Chronicles. He's talked about in Job and Psalms and Isaiah, Ezekiel and Zechariah. Listen, every writer of the New Testament affirmed his reality and his activity. And even... That, on top of, if you are reminded, Christ spoke about the devil. He affirmed that Satan existed and that he was indeed active in the world by which we live. In 25 of the 29 passages in the gospel, they speak of Satan. And when that happens, it is the Lord who is speaking. So in some of those passages, there's no question uh, of Christ accommodating his teaching to the crowds in which he would never ignore the reality of Satan. And so we, we need to not only understand that the Bible, both Old and New Testament, support the reality that Satan is a real person. He's not just... Uh, it's not the devil isn't just a personification of evil. No, he is a real person. 
And so we need to begin by looking at the evidences of his personality. So the traits of his personality is what I want us to look at. Like the angels, Satan is said to possess the traits of personality. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Um, while I'm turning there, I, I think it, this is a, a reminder that, um, that he has intelligence. Um, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 11, verse 3, talks about the craftiness of the devil. I'm almost there. Here we go. He says here in verse 3, But I am afraid... Paul is defending against his apostleship here. He says, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. It, listen, a, a person who is crafty has intelligence. They, they're able to think. They're able to decipher. They're able to conclude things. And the reality is, as we see, the devil, Satan, has intelligence. He not only has intelligence, but he exhibits emotion. He exhibits emotion. Look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 17. Revelation 12, verse 17. He says, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony. So, so here we see that the devil, Satan, has emotion. He, he's, he, he's angered. There, there is this reality in which Satan exhibits not only intellect, but also emotion. And so he's angered. In Luke 22, 31, Luke 22, 31, we, we learn that, that he has desire. He has desire. He says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has de demanded permission to sift you like wheat. So here we find this reality that not only does, does Satan have intellect, emotion. He has desire. And, and the desire of Satan, if you recall, is to, to do one thing, to seek to kill, steal, and destroy. He has a desire to, to get into your business, to get into your life, to get into your family, to get into your marriage, to get into your children, and destroy everything. And boy, isn't it a reality that if people for a moment can think that Satan does not exist, that he is not real, but that he is just a personification of evil. Think about how he's already won the battle. No, he has personality, intellect, emotion, anger, desire. He demonstrates that he has a will. Look at 2 Timothy. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 26. He says here, 2 Timothy 2, 26, and they, and they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, 
having been held captive by him to do his will. So you can see the importance of understanding that the devil is not just the idea, the personification of evil, but that he indeed has personality. His intellect, his motion, his desire, and he has a will. And his will is that he destroy you. His will is that he destroy again your family. His will is that he destroy America and our freedoms. So the reality is, is we need to, we need to understand the personality of the devil. Um, let's let's now look at the pronouns uh, of personality. Satan is referred to as a person in both Old and New Testament. Um, but look at Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four. We're going to really look at. 1 to 12, because I think this is an important portion of Scripture in which, if you recall, this is uh, when Satan was tempted by the devil. And I'll read the first uh, several verses here so that you can understand that in the temptations. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights, then he became hungry. And the tempter, that's the devil, just another name for Satan, came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him into the holy city, and he had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. Listen, the devil's a person who knows scripture as well. Again, Jesus responds. I love how we can learn so much by how Christ responds to the person, Satan. What does he say? He said to him, on the other hand, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil is not finished. He continues. And so it says again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then what does Jesus do? Jesus said to him, Go, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and began to minister to him. Now when Jesus heard that John had been taken into custody, he withdrew from Galilee. So we notice, well, first thing is I want to notice is that if you want to be successful against the devil, act like Jesus. In every situation, temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness, there was one thing in common. And it was, he said, it is written. If Jesus felt it appropriate 
to fight the devil with the word of God, then you need to fight like Christ, the devil, the word with the word of God. So be like Christ and know the word of God so that you can fight against this enemy who is a real person. And so you need to notice the, the, the pronouns of personality. So notice the information in this, in this latter passage, the temptation to Christ, had come from the Lord himself. And thus, by using personal pronouns, he attributes personality to Satan. But notice the moral responsibility of personality. If Satan were, listen, just merely a personification that people have devised to express their idea of evil, which many do in these days. They don't believe in Satan. They don't believe in the devil. They don't believe in hell. They don't even believe in heaven. But if that idea of, of the evil is personified as the devil, then such a personification could scarcely be held morally responsible for his actions, since the reality is there is no one who can be held responsible. But listen to me very clearly. The devil is held responsible. He is held accountable by the Lord. Look at Matthew 25. Matthew 25, verse 41. It says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accused ones, into the eternal life which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Listen. There is a moral responsibility by which Satan will be accountable. He will be held accountable because he is held accountable by the Lord. And this passage reminds us that to deny the reality of Satan requires you to deny the veracity of Christ in his word. You're calling Christ a liar. And that's just not the reality. So we need to understand the importance that, that, that Satan has personality. He is a real person. And he is going to be held accountable. And so we need to come to grips with that reality that we indeed understand that he is indeed a person. So if he's a person, then what is his nature? That's what we're going to look at next, his nature. Well, the first thing that we need to notice about his nature is that he is a creature. Um, assuming that Ezekiel 28, 11, and 19 refer to Satan, that passage clearly states that Satan was created. Look at Ezekiel chapter 28. And uh, let's let's just review verse 15 specifically. Ezekiel 28 verse 15. He says, speaking of the devil, you were blameless in all your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness was found in you. 
he, he here he's he's claiming the reality that the devil was blameless from the day that he was created. Listen, the devil is a created being. This means that he does not possess attributes that belong to God alone. This is important. You may say, well, why is this important? Well, understanding the nature of Satan gives you the benefit, the benefit of understanding who Satan is and how he works. So this means that he doesn't possess the attributes of God. So like he is not omnipresent. Omnipresent means he can't be everywhere at one time. So he has to have a, you know, it, it, every every issue you face in your life isn't the devil. Like the devil isn't on every rock. The devil is not omnipresent. That means if he's over there with you, he's not here with me. He cannot be everywhere at once. Now he he can use his craftiness through the via the internet, right? Social media. I think that's one of the the realities uh, that we need to be aware of is that he is not omnipresent. Therefore, he can't be everywhere at once. He he must have a team of of demons to help him. But nevertheless. He can't be with you and me unless we are in this together. Then he can, by way of like telephone, by way of video, he can be everywhere amongst that live audience. But nevertheless, he's not omnipresent. He's not omnipotent. He doesn't know all things. Um, I mean, he's not all powerful. Excuse me. Omnipotence is, 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 is the power of God. He's not omniscient, meaning he doesn't know everything. He doesn't know what you're going to do. And though a, a mighty being he is, he has creaturely limitations. The devil is limited. He is not all-powerful, though he is the god of this world system. He is limited. As a creature, he must be accountable to the Creator. So, he, he we need to we need to understand he's a creature. He is not only a creature, but he's a spirit being. Satan belongs to the order of angels called cherubim, Ezekiel twenty eight fourteen, and apparently he was the highest created angel. In verse 12, we read that of Ezekiel 28 again. Uh, here in verse 14, you were the anointed cherubim who covered, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. And in verse 12, he reminds us, Son of man, take up your lamentations over the king of Tyre." And say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You have have you you've sealed perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in his beauty. So so he must have been created as this the highest created angel. And evidently, this is was the reason Michael the archangel, if you recall, didn't dispute with Satan about the body of Moses in Jude. 
verse 9. Satan may be called the archangel of evil angels. Even in his present fallen state, the devil retains a great deal of power. But listen, it is a power that has been loaned out, so to speak, by God. God has given him power, but listen, it's under the permission of God by which he has it. And thus, uh, eventually, God's going to call out that loan on him. And thus, he is called the God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. We see that in 2 Corinthians Uh, chapter 4, ultimately in verse 4, when he says, Here for out of much affliction and anguish of heart I wrote with many tears. I'm sorry, that's chapter 2. Chapter 4, verse 4, in whose case the God of this world has blinded their minds of the unbelieving so they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So the devil is the power, is the God of this world who blinds the eyes of people against the gospel of Christ. That's important to know. But he's a spirit being. Um. He is called the God again of this world and the prince of the peace of the year. So we we his nature is important to understand. He is a created being. And because he's a created being, he has limitations. He doesn't obtain the attributes of God. So we can't we we can't confuse the two. We, he is not powerful like God is powerful. God has given him power, but it is limited to this world and to this system. So that's his nature. So we've looked this morning at his personality, his nature, and then I want to look at his names because that's important, I think, uh, to, to, to discover. The number and variety of names given to Satan um, further supports the reality of his existence. Uh, Satan, the the name is is used about 52 times from the Hebrew. Satan means adversary, opposer. Um, The devil, the word devil, is used about 35 times, which is from the Greek diablos, meaning slanderer. And so you have Satan, which means adversary, opposer. You have the devil, which means slander. And those are two very common names by which we see and understand the devil is called by those. And so John records him as the evil one in John 17, 15. Uh, his evil character, indicated in this title, pervades the entire world, which is, I want to remind you, 
under his control. Yet the, be, the believer cannot ultimately be possessed by Satan. Now that's important because we need to be reminded that, that as believers we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're born again from above. And Christians, believers, cannot be possessed by Satan. They can be tricked, tempted, but nevertheless never possessed by Satan. Um, not only was he the devil, the evil one, uh, we learned in Genesis chapter 3, in the very beginning, that he was a serpent. And that's the way he first appeared, if you recall, to mankind. And this, this characterization of Satan really sticks with Satan even throughout the New Testament as he is indicated by his craftiness, his guileness. So Satan is also depicted as the great red dragon. Um, in Revelation 12, verse 3, verse 7, verse 9. And, and this really emphasizes his fierce nature, uh, especially in the reality of conflict. A note that the dragon has a tail, and thus um, our Halloween uh, costumes kind of reflect that of Satan. Uh, the tail and the horns and the pitchfork, it's not too far off. Um, an illustration, an older student, when asked by a younger student what kind of teacher so-and-so is, um, might reply, oh, he's a bear. The meaning is clear. The teacher is hard. Satan is a dragon. The meaning is clear. Listen, he is ferocious. He, he attacks against believers. He is the enemy. And so one of Satan's activity is to be accuser of the brethren. He does this unceasingly day, and he does it night. All day, all night. And what does he accuse us of? Well, of our sin we commit. And of course, he has an, an, an airtight case in reality for believers, we do sin. And so any sin could go under um, scrutiny by the devil. He can use it to accuse you. And, and the reality, though, he wants to make you think that, it, that, that because of this sin that he can undo salvation. But we know that Scripture teaches differently. The Lord, our advocator, defends us on the sole basis that our sins were paid for by his death. That's why Titus 3 Five is such an important passage for you to hide in your heart, to be reminded. We see it in 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Maybe I should read that one. Let me flip over to 1 John. First John chapter 2, 1 and 2. 
he says, I'll just start in verse one. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If any one sins, that's the reality, you will sin. Not a matter of if, a matter of when. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also those of the whole world. And so in, in understanding this, the names of Satan and their attributes and his characteristics, though he is the accuser and he wants to accuse you of the sin, listen, we have an advocate, the Father Jesus Christ, who has paid for our sin, past, present, and future to those that have put their faith in Christ. So some probably, without even knowing it, make a distinction between sin that could undo salvation and those that would not do, like, well, that was a big sin or that's a little sin. But listen to me very clearly. Any sin is enough to be covered by the blood of the Lamb. And any sin that's enough to, to cause us to lose our salvation, <laughs> if it was not because of the consistent intercession of the Lord, this is a reality. That, that Satan, the adversary, wants to make you feel like you're going to lose it, that you, you've messed up and well, now you've lost your salvation, you know, make sure you get saved again. The accuser's very crafty. Ironside, H.A. Ironside, he, he always addressed their classes as young gentlemen. When he came to this verse, inevitably saying, young gentlemen, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. Let's leave the dirty work to him. And what I think he's saying is, we are so quick to be the accusers. And while we are to indeed stand up against sin, we have to be very careful that we take the log out of our very own eyes. Because indeed, Satan is the accuser. And we have to be careful that we be praying for the brethren for their walk with the Lord rather than being the ones who accuse. So not only is he the devil, the serpent, not only is he the accuser, he is the tempter. Satan is also the tempter. We see that in Matthew 4, 3. We see it in 1 Thessalonians 3, 5. This has been the work from his first encounter with human beings in Genesis 3.1. Flip over there to Genesis chapter 3, very beginning of time, because I think it's important to understand. He says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? And then listen to what the woman says. The woman said to the serpent, from the fruit of the tree of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it 
or, or touch it or you will die. And the serpent said to the woman, surely you will not die. You know, as I share the gospel on Fridays, there's always one gentleman who says, I don't, I don't agree that when Satan and Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, they died. Well, yeah, they died. God made the promise. If from the day you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now, did they die physically? No, of course not. Therefore, how did they die? They died spiritually. To say they didn't die was to take up what the devil says. Eat, you won't die. <laughs> so, so he is the tempter. He has been from the beginning in which he encountered human beings from the very beginning. His temptation to Eve was to accept a counterfeit plan that he offered that did not involve the restriction of eating or dying. His temptation of Christ was to have glory that was due him without suffering the cross. We know from Colossians, as we looked at that in Matthew 4, as we looked at Satan and all the temptations, you can't help but think of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. Let me flip there. Because I think it's a great reminder of who Christ is. He says in Colossians chapter 1, that he, Jesus, is the invisible image of God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things. In him all things hold together. So, so, so Satan is trying to tempt Jesus, who who is the creator of all things, to obtain his glory before it was his time. He's a tempter, guys. What has he tempted you lately with? Maybe he's tempted you with prosperity. Maybe you're not satisfied with your circumstance. Maybe he has tempted with you, tempted you to get all crazy in your mind over what's happening in this nation, to forget that God is in control, that God is sovereign, that God is the one who places authorities into positions. No, no ballots, no systems can, can overthrow the sovereignty and the sovereign work of God. Maybe God is doing something to wake up people back to him. But nevertheless, he is indeed the tempter. Maybe he's tempted you that there is some other woman other than your wife that, that you're going to get your joy from, that you're going to get your satisfaction. Listen, sin is good for a moment, but the wages of sin is death. It's always death. Don't let the tempter lie to you. Maybe the devil's tempted you today that... Uh, you need to, women, as, as advocate your responsibility to be godly mothers in the home for some career that's temporal. And then in 10 and 15 years, your kids start abandoning the faith, and you wonder why. Well, you haven't mothered them. You've put them under someone else's authority, and they've believed everything they've said. And the tempter wants you to think, oh, if you just go get this job, you can live in this nice house. Who cares what kind of house we live in? This is not our world. What is it that the devil's tempting you with, gentlemen? That if you go work hard and 
skip out and abdicate your responsibilities or you can live the American dream. You can have all these nice things while in reality your families are falling apart. We, we, we have to stop believing the lies of the devil. He is a real person. He has a real personality. He has many names, and he is the tempter. So what is it that he's been tempting you with lately? He tempted Ananias to lie and not disclose the full amount of money that his sale of his land had brought, and what happened? He killed over. He, he tempts the believers with immorality. Satan's position over this world is seen in several titles given to him. He is the ruler of this world. John 20, 12, 31. He is the God of this world. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He is the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 2, 2. He is the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He is the deceiver of this world. He, he resides in the air, in the heavenly places, and rules this cosmos as well as this age. The cosmos is that organized framework of things which mankind lives and moves and th that oppose God by eliminating and counterfeiting him. The age of which hopes and impulses and aims and aspirations, all of the, the, the those thoughts and opinions and Marxism and maximums and speculations, which will all be impossible to seize and accurately define, but which constitutes a more real and effective power, being the moral or immoral. Listen, the reality is, is he is the ruler of every aspect of our lives in this world. That kind of rule over the world and atmosphere in which we live is powerful and should cause us to respect the devil. But thankfully, God is greater. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. By the name Beelzebub designated Satan as the chief of demons in Luke eleven fifteen. When Jesus's enemies alleged that he was possessed by Beelzebub, remember that? They made themselves guilty of the worst kind of blasphemy. Paul uses Beal as the name for Satan in 2 Corinthians 6.15. The word means worthlessness or wickedness. And it's, and it's described by, by Satan's character. So the reality is that there are various names and designations for Satan, not only affirm his reality, his existence, but also reveal his many faceted characteristics in the aspect of his works. A name, listen, often reveals something about a person's background. So the devil has many names because he has many characteristics. But the reality is, is there's one thing that sums them all up. 
He is the liar and the father of lies. The dragon, the serpent, the liar, the murderer, the accuser, the tempter. He is a powerful, intelligent, clever creature, and we must never forget or underestimate the reality of our enemy. So I pray that by this simple walk through the reality of Satan, that you'll understand there's evidence from the Scripture that he is a real person. He is not just the personification of evil. That he is a real person in their evidence of his personality and by the fact that he has intelligence, emotion, desire, and will. He has moral responsibility because of his personality. And he has a nature. He is created. He's a spiritual being. And he has names. He has many names because he has many characters about him. And nevertheless, we never need to forget as we walk in our day that he is indeed powerful. And God has given him power over this world. And we must never underestimate the enemy. So I pray that was helpful encouragement to you. I want us to pray and then we'll close and, and open the floor for questions or just some Q&A about what you may have been encouraged about and uh, or challenged about as well. So let's pray and we'll, we'll open up. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.